Okay, do we have a map up there? And we've got it, so we are uh, ready to roll. Uh, we need to backtrack a little bit. Uh, Brother Carson preached last week. I was in the great state of Mississippi where it was warm and humid. And uh, uh, thank you, Brother Carson, for a great uh, message and appreciate that. Uh, Paul is on his second missionary journey. It is a brand new team that God has put together. Uh, Barnabas and Paul had some issues, and Barnabas took John Mark and went to Cyprus. And uh, although Barnabas stepped off the pages of Scripture at that point, I don't believe for a moment God was done with him. God's Word describes him as a good man, a man that was filled with the Holy Spirit. And with John Mark under his wing, uh, Barnabas went in one direction. And so a man by the name of Silas teams up with the Apostle Paul. Uh, they were not long into their journey. Uh, they started going back to the churches that they had uh, started with. So they left uh, Antioch, uh, Antioch right there. And this time they went overland and they're taking a long way around while they were in Lystra. And Iconium, that's where they found Timothy. Uh, they met this remarkable young man, um, and he has joined the team. At some point in Acts chapter 16, uh, Luke, the doctor, joined with them because the pronouns changed from third person they to first person we. And so there's a four-man team now that is serving. If you remember, uh, they're making this long overland trip. Paul wanted to go in this direction. He wanted to go to the northeast, very rugged area. It was part of the Roman Empire, but that was more the outpost-type place. Uh, but Paul always had a burden about taking the gospel, he said, where Christ has not been preached. He wasn't much concerned about going to the Bible Belt and starting another church where there were already Bible-believing churches so he could build his church by taking people from other churches. He said, I want to go where Christ is not named. I don't want to build on another man's ministry, and, and certainly that would have been a great place. But for reasons known only to the Lord, the Holy Spirit would allow that to happen. They tried to go into Asia, which is this red area here, and once again, the Holy Spirit said no, and they were, they're waiting on the Lord, and it, it appears they're sort of traveling along, and they got to this place called Troas right here. We're not sure if Paul and Silas and his team are walking. Uh, it, it more than likely, they were traveling on horseback because altogether, you're talking hundreds and hundreds of miles, uh, that type of thing. While they were there... Uh, Paul had a vision of a man from Macedonia. Uh, if you'd look, please, in verse 9 of chapter 16, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. There is a place where God wants us. Um, and, and we need to be sensitive to the leadership of the Holy Spirit uh, to follow that and be exactly in that place where God wants us. So uh, they, they loosed from Troas and uh, they made their, their trip. They had to cross the Aegean Sea, the northern part of it. They stopped at an island here, Samothrace. Uh, they ended up uh, in Neapolis uh, and so forth. Um, and uh, they ended up in the city of Philippi, chapter 16 and verse 12. Uh, the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony, and we were in that city abiding certain days. 
And this is going to be the beginning of the gospel reaching the continent of Europe. And the first place that they went to is this city of Philippi. Um, as you're studying Acts 16, you got to take some time and read the book of Philippians. Four little chapters. Uh, one of the uh, most gracious books that Paul ever penned under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Uh, a great church was established there. Uh, we studied, uh, starting in verse 13, the first convert in Philippi was a lady by the name of Lydia. Uh, when Paul went into a city, can somebody remind us, where did he almost always go first? He went to the synagogue. Um, he, he knew that the gospel was to the Jew first and also to the Greek. He would go to the synagogue and teach the Jewish people that their Messiah had come, that it was Jesus of Nazareth. He would teach them about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. He would take them and walk them through the what we call the Old Testament. That was their scriptures. And he would convince them from the scriptures uh, uh, that they had been fulfilled in Jesus of Nazareth. Um, this time in Philippi, Paul did not do that. The Bible says, uh, verse 13, on, on the Sabbath, we went out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made. According to Jewish tradition, in order to start a synagogue in any city, there had to be a minimum of 10 Jewish men. If that minimum was not met, they could not form a synagogue. So what the Jewish people in that community would do is on the Sabbath day, uh, they would just meet together somewhere uh, and they would have a time of prayer. It might be that someone would open their scriptures and read a little bit and they would pray. And oftentimes they like to meet near running water, rivers, streams, creeks, that type of thing. Um, the, the, the idea was that they always had a supply of water because uh, ritual cleansing was a part of their, their religious tradition and so forth. And uh, so that's what Paul did. He heard that there was a, a place by the Ganges River that would have flown through Philippi uh, where people prayed. And uh, there were some women gathered there, and it appears no men. Uh, just ladies. Uh, Josephus tells us about this time in, in uh, Roman history. Uh, there was a persecution and the Roman colonies expelled the Jewish men. Um, and so much is what is going on in Russia with the men leaving the country because of the danger of uh, being conscripted into the Russian army. Jewish men were expelled and so the women were left behind. And, and so Paul went to meet with these Jewish ladies. Verse 14, uh, we see that Paul encountered Lydia. And this is all by way of review, but it's been a few weeks since we've been here. Uh, Lydia was from Thyatira. And if you can look back up at our map, Thyatira is right almost in the center of this region called Asia. It's part of the, uh, uh, that region Paul wanted to go to, but the Holy Spirit wouldn't let him go. Thyatira was known in its day uh, for the production of purple dye. Purple dye. Uh, the dye was uh, 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 formed by taking the shells of a certain type of, of uh, mollusk, uh, like you, you think oyster type thing, and they would grind that up and, and so forth. And when combined with other things, it would make the dye that was used in uh, the uh, clothing of royalty. It was hard to obtain. 
my son made mention to me the last time we were here on this uh, that in order to get these mollusks, it's not like, you know, you're just walking through the creek in ankle deep water and, oh, there's one and you pick it up and you put it in your basket. Uh, they, were, they were at the bottom of, of, of rivers, things like that. And uh, the men who went to get these things, they trained for years as like Japanese pearl divers, okay, uh, that type of thing. Uh, it was very dangerous occupation because they're diving down into moving water uh, at tremendous depths to get these things and so forth. And so that, that just jacked the price up that much more. Uh, the Bible says that this lady Lydia, Lydia was a seller of purple. Uh, from Thyatira. She was probably the go-between and had the business back home and so forth. Uh, but notice in verse 14 again, which worshiped God. She's a lady whose heart was very tender towards the things of the Lord, whose heart the Lord opened, that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. And when she was baptized and her household, that may mean her children, her servants, uh, that type of thing, she besought us, saying, If ye have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and abide there. She constrained us. This is an encouraging start to the soul-winning ministry in Philippi. It's always nice when the first person you talk to gets saved. Uh, it's always nice when you find a welcome such as that. Uh, and Paul has found that. And uh, she has provided them a lodging place. Uh, so uh, they're, they're not sleeping out in the streets, uh, you know, that type of thing. So God is providing for them. And as you know, as we talk to people and, and go around, you'll find there are a lot of people, uh, even in this day and age, that are just waiting for somebody to come along and tell them about Christ. We've got an idea that, uh, well, we're in a post-Christian era and people don't want to hear the gospel, but that's true in some cases. But there's a lot of people out there that if you'd give them a tract, you might just be surprised at the response you get from them. Uh, they might be in the drive through window. Uh, they, might, they might be in your place of work. They might even be next door to you wherever you happen to live. But you'll never know unless you share Christ with them. So in the first convert, it's someone with a tender heart. We picked up with verse 16, and we saw a young lady with a tormented heart. There was a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination uh, who met them, brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. That word divination literally means the spirit of a python. Um, I, we talked about uh, the Gene uh, Dixon, the... the uh, psychic from the 1960s and 70s. Uh, she gained fame because supposedly she predicted uh, with quite a, a lot of accuracy the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. Uh, in an interview that she gave that was televised, someone asked her, how do you get your visions? How do you, how do you, uh, you know, know all this stuff? And she, she happily proclaimed that she's allowed, she allowed herself to be wrapped up with a python and that python is the one that told her what was going to happen. Uh, that's all satanic uh, and so forth. And this girl was possessed with such an evil spirit. Verse 17, the same followed Paul and us and cried, saying, These men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. She's not trying to promote their ministry. Uh, that's said in mockery. That's said in sarcasm. Uh, she's interrupting them. Uh, you know, that type of thing. Um, and this she uh, did she many days. 
We talked about this. It's amazing that Paul didn't stop her right away, that Paul didn't say anything in the first day or the second day, uh, but, but many days. Um, it's hard to read much into it as to why he did or not did not do anything, uh, but, but certainly Paul wasn't angry with her. Uh, we know when he finally spoke, he was grieved, verse 18, and he turned and said to the Spirit, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and he came out the same hour. Uh, Paul looked on her and saw a, a tortured heart, a tormented heart. We're not sure how she got involved in satanic things. Uh, it may have been something she was exposed to as a little girl. Uh, it may have been that her parents took her to the demonic temples that were well known throughout the ancient world uh, or whatever. But Paul did not see her as bad. He saw her as broken. Uh, he was burdened uh, about her. Uh, and so when he speaks, he speaks to the, to the evil spirit, to the demon, uh, rather than the girl. He wanted to see her delivered. Just as there are people with tender hearts, there are people with troubled hearts. There are people with tormented hearts. And we have to be equally as sensitive to their needs as well. One of the be uh, best things that we did for our children uh, when they were young is when I pastored in Pennsylvania, uh, we had a little bus that somebody had given to our church. It was uh, about a 16 or 18 passenger bus. Uh, we named it Tuffy. And uh, I was the bus driver, the bus captain, and so forth. And usually Tim, uh, you know, at the age six, seven, eight years of age, uh, was my runner, that type of thing. And, and uh, we would take our kids out on Saturdays visiting the bus route. Uh, and it was important. You see, the devil on the billboards, on the TV commercials, the sitcoms and all that shows sin as being glamorous, that it's all fun and games. But it's when you're knocking on the doors on the bus route that you see that sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There's nothing like looking at your child's face as you knock on a door and you're standing there and they're looking in the living room. And the only piece of furniture is a pool table with no legs laying in the middle of the floor beer cans piled up all over the place, cigarette butts all over the place, and uh, they don't walk away saying evenings were made for Michelob. They don't, they don't do that. They get the real picture for it. We need to understand that the tormented, tortured hearts need Jesus as much as anybody else. Sometimes they take a little longer to win. Uh, one Saturday, uh, my wife and I were visiting a couple that had, that had come to our church, Bob and Shelley. And so we knocked on their door, and they lived in some townhouse type thing, low-income type situation. And we knocked on their door, and they invited us in, and we thanked them for coming. Uh, we got to know a little bit about them, found out they'd both been saved, moved to the area, uh, and so forth. Had a little bit of a background in an independent Baptist church. It was a real good visit. And Bob and Shelley said, would you go next door and talk to our neighbor? Her name is Pam. Uh, she really needs the Lord. She's had, a, she's had a rough go of things. You've got a couple little boys. Would you go over and knock on the door and, and invite her to church? So we left Bob and Shelley's house, and Trina and I knocked on the door, and I said, Hi, my name's Tom. This is Trina. We're from Heritage Baptist Church. And along with a few choice, I don't know if they're adjectives or adverbs or pronouns or I, what do you call dirty words? I have no idea. Blankety-blank, I'm Catholic and slammed the door. I mean, just like that. I mean, the windows rattled the whole nine yards, and I thought, Bob and Shelley have a lot to answer for when they get to heaven. They sent us there on purpose. 
and uh, it was rough. Uh, Pam's husband was in prison for murder. Uh, she had been a motorcycle gang. Uh, her mom and dad ran the numbers game in town. Uh, mafia was heavy in that little town, and, and uh, her parents had been a part of all of that. And uh, she's, she was as rough as rough could be. And, uh, you know, it was, it was disheartening. How many have ever knocked on a door and had a welcome like that? If you knock on enough of them, they're out there. But, you know, those people, sometimes we get mad and, and well, I'm going to shake off the dust of my feet against you. And when you're in hell, you're going to remember this day. And that's not the heart of a soul winner. It really isn't. Um, a few months went by, Easter Sunday came along, and uh, lo and behold, Bob and Shelly and their two little boys uh, came for Easter Sunday service, and in tow with them was Pam and her two little boys. And they came to church, and she looked at us like we had three heads. She'd never been inside a Baptist church before. All she knew was Roman Catholicism, and I'm not even sure how happy she was to be there, but Pam was there. Uh, she came on a Wednesday night, and uh, what I remember is Trina came running in. I was up at the front of the church getting ready to start the service. She said, Pam's here. Don't look. I'll tell you later. Uh, Pam was dressed very inappropriately, and we'll just leave it at that. And uh, so she sat over here. So my attention was focused on the folks, the good folks sitting over here all that night uh, and so forth. And... Uh, that's kind of the way it was. <clears throat> One Thursday evening, I got a call from Shelly, and she said, we need you to pray. Pam is at our house. She's been asking questions, and they, they, they needed some Bible verses to answer some specific questions. I said, you know, just call me if you need me to come over. They said, well, you just gave us what we need. Uh, just be praying, and so Trina and I prayed that Thursday night, and Friday morning, we got a call from Shelley that Pam had trusted Christ as her Savior. If you go to Heritage Baptist Church in Jeanette, Pennsylvania tonight, there's a young lady in her mid-20s named Julia Peters who will be playing the piano. That is Pam's daughter. She wasn't even born uh, that when we first met Pam. You will see Pam. Uh, she teaches Sunday school. She sings in the choir. Uh, she serves in that church in so many capacities, and she has done so for 30 years now. That was the troubled heart. The gospel can reach anybody. And uh, so we saw the tender-hearted Lydia got saved. We saw the trouble-hearted uh, demon-possessed girl got saved. Of course, that brought about uh, a problem for Paul and Silas because once she got saved, the demon is gone. She could no longer tell the future and her masters who used her uh, lost their income and so they brought Paul and Silas uh, uh, into the marketplace, verse 19, verse 20, brought them to the magistrates saying, these men being Jews do exceedingly trouble our city. They, they invoked anti-Semitism uh, and said these Jewish men, uh, they're not even supposed to be here. They're troubling our city, teaching customs which are not lawful for us to receive, neither to observe being Romans. So they're, you know, just a whole bunch of lies. Uh, that type of thing, the multitude rose up, the magistrates ran off their clothes, you know, the Paul and, and Silas got beaten. We're not sure why Luke and Timothy did not. It might be because those two men were the spokesmen. Uh, we're not sure. 
uh, but they were beaten. Uh, verse 23, uh, the jailer was given a charge to keep them safely. Uh, verse 24, he thrust them. That idea carries the idea. He threw them with all of his might into the inner prison, made their feet fast in the stocks. So now we see the toughened heart. Um, as we mentioned a, a couple of weeks ago, oftentimes the jailers in these prisons in the Roman Empire were retired Roman soldiers. They were men who had seen battle. They were men who had trained their entire, uh, entire lives for it. They were powerfully built men. Uh, they were not afraid of anyone. They could face death in the face and it wouldn't bother them even a little bit uh, and so forth. And more than likely, this man was of that breed of individual. Uh, he's the kind of guy that would scare us to talk to, uh, that type of thing. And he, he definitely had no love uh, for Paul and Silas. He did not understand anything about what they were about other than they were a threat to Rome. That's the charges being brought against them. As a Roman soldier, his entire life had been sworn in the defense of the Roman Empire. His loyalty was, was to the emperor. These men are a threat to that. And so this man would hate them personally with a vengeance. And so he, he let it be known that's the way uh, he felt about them. Verse 25, and familiar, wonderful, wonderful passage of scripture. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. We cannot stop trouble from coming into our lives. Now, sometimes trouble is the, is the result of bad choices we make. If I go out and get drunk, and I uh, wrap my car around a telephone pole, that's my fault. That's the consequences of my poor choice. Okay, we understand that type of thing. But a lot of times in life, there are just troubles that come into our lives and it's not because they're consequences of something we chose to do wrong. Job was the best Christian of his generation, yet he had more troubles than any one of us have ever had to deal with. None of us would want to spend five minutes in his shoes. He did nothing to deserve those things. And it is in the book of Job that we read the phrase that man's days are few and full of trouble as the sparks fly upward. Trouble is going to come into all of our lives in one form or another. Oftentimes we can start a day and think everything is fine. And before we pillow our head at night, everything is turned around. We cannot stop trouble from coming upon us. But what we can choose is how we're going to respond and react to that trouble. We can get angry. We can get mad at God. Job said, the Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Job's wife said, curse God and die. And I'm not trying to, you've heard me say before, I'm not trying to put her down. I've not lived a day in, in her heartbreak and so forth. But we're all faced with it. How are we going to respond? Paul and Silas, by human standards, had every right to be angry as angry could be. They had every right to be in that prison saying, this isn't fair. I demand to see a lawyer. You all are going to pay. They had every right to be ranting and raving like most of the other men in that prison probably had done when they got, uh, got in there. Everybody in prison is innocent. They could have done so, 
but they made a different choice. The Bible says they prayed and sang praises unto God. You understand that both prayer and praise are demonstrating the highest faith and trust in the Lord. When we pray, we are saying, I believe that God cares about me. We're saying, I believe that God can help me. Ephesians chapter 3 says, uh, Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think. When we pray, we are exercising that faith, that God is able to do that. Read Hebrews chapter 11 and and the, the issues that these people went through, the troubles that they walked through in their lives. When we pray, we're demonstrating our faith in God. But would you understand when we praise, we are equally demonstrating our faith in God, especially when we're in the prison. It's one thing to praise God, praise God when you got the raise, and you ought to. It's one thing to praise God when the new baby's being held in your arms, and you ought to. It's a whole different thing when you're praising God in the prison, and you've been mistreated. And a problem has come into your life that you did not foresee, and it's not fair, and it's not just. You can choose to rant and rave. By the way, your ranting and raving won't fix your problem. All it'll do is make you more miserable and everybody that has to listen to you rant and rave more miserable. Praise is a whole different thing. Paul and Silas wisely chose to pray and to sing praises. They're singing. That song in the heart. And notice the end of verse 25, and the prisoners heard them. I mentioned this before. Uh, People are listening to us. Your family's listening to you. Moms and dads, your children are listening to you. Grandparents, your sons, daughters, grandchildren, they're listening to you as you go through just the issues of life. They're listening to whether you're praying and praising or griping and complaining. They are listening to you. Co-workers are listening to you. Random strangers are listening to you. What are they hearing? These other men in this prison that night heard two men, and they don't know all the circumstances. They they don't necessarily know the charges brought against them. Uh, They don't know what happened out with the uh, the demon-possessed girl, but they're they're seeing uh, two men in prison that are different than any other two men that they've known uh, praying and singing praises to God. And what those men heard was going to change an awful lot about that night for them. Um, Look at verse 26. So this, they're praying, they're praising, and now we see God's response to this. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. Now, earthquakes are common in this part of the world. Okay, they still are. So that part of it is not necessarily unusual, but the next part of the verse tells us this isn't a normal earthquake. This is God. So the prison is shaken. Immediately, all the doors were opened again. That's not unusual. As things shift, the doors burst open, that type of thing. And everyone's bands were loosed. Earthquakes don't, you know, remove handcuffs. It it just doesn't happen. Uh, Everyone's bands were loosed. However, they are fastened to chains in the wall. Paul and Silas, their feet in the stocks. All of a sudden, that's all open. God's intervened. God loves it when we pray and when we praise. 
Uh, I love the song, God Wants to Hear You Sing. And it's taken from this particular text. And so God's responding to this prayer meeting that's going on. Keep your place here and turn to 2 Chronicles chapter 20. 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Jehoshaphat was one of those godly kings of the nation of Judah. In verse number one, it says, It came to pass after this also that the children of Moab and the children of Ammon and with them other beside the Ammonites, and that would later we'll learn that's the Edomites, came against Jehoshaphat to battle. So it's going to be multiple kings against one. Then there came some that told Jehoshaphat, saying, There cometh a great multitude against thee from beyond the sea on this side Syria. And behold, they be in Hazazon Tamar, which is in Gedi. And Jehoshaphat feared and set himself to seek the Lord and proclaim the fast throughout all Judah. He did the right thing. He went to God first. Judah gathered themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if our nation would wise up and realize it's only God that can help us out of all the messes we're in and pray? I think it's remarkable in the last uh, two weeks with the, uh, the young man uh, from Buffalo uh, that got injured in that football game. How many, anybody watch that when it happened? Uh, you, you were watching that thing? I think he's 24 years of age, uh, went into cardiac arrest on the, the, the football field. The paramedics actually had to bring him back to life and so forth. And uh, all of a sudden, uh, uh, both teams are on their knees. I, I've seen the images, the video, uh, praying people in the stands are praying. Uh, an ESPN uh, announcer of the game is praying on, on a, a broadcast that's being beamed around the world and his co-anchors have their heads bowed and eyes closed. He prays in Jesus' name and all of that. Uh, and America was entranced by this situation uh, and so forth. By the way, it's the same NFL that told Tim Tebow that prayer doesn't belong on a football field. It's amazing how a crisis can change that. Um, Jehoshaphat realized we're not going to fix this by electing a new Senate or House of Representatives. By the way, that ain't going to fix it either. It's only God. He has a prayer meeting. Judah believes it. They gather themselves together to ask help of the Lord. Even out of all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. And Jehoshaphat stood in the congregation of Judah and Jerusalem in the house of the Lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, art not thou God in heaven? And rulest not thou over all the kingdoms of the heathen? What's the answer to that question? Oh, most certainly. He absolutely is. And in thine hand is there not power and might so that none is able to withstand thee? How many believe that? So how come we don't pray like we believe it? Jehoshaphat's starting on a biblical, prayerful uh, uh, footing here. Art not thou our God? who didst drive out the inhabitants of this land before thy people Israel, gavest it to the seed of Abraham thy friend forever. They dwelt therein, have built thee a sanctuary therein for thy name, saying, If when evil cometh upon us, as the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we stand before this house and in thy presence, for thy name is in this house, and cry unto thee in our affliction, then thou wilt hear and help. Now behold the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, 
would, uh, whom thou uh, wouldest not let Israel invade when they came out of the land of Egypt, but they turned from them and destroyed them not. Behold, I say how they reward us to come to cast us out of thy possession, which thou hast given us to inherit. O our God, wilt thou not judge them? For we have no might against this great company that cometh against us, neither know the, uh, we what to do, but our eyes are upon thee. Boy, this is a powerful prayer. This is a heartfelt prayer. It is a scriptural prayer. And I like this in verse 13. And all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. Bring your kids to church. Bring, bring your family to church. Teach your kids to pray. Teach them the value, the importance of that. You understand these little ones are about to see God move. They're not going to see God move playing Halo or Minecraft or whatever else it is. But they're going to see God move if they learn how to pray. Then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation, and he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and thou King Jehoshaphat. Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid, nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves... Stand ye still and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against him, for the Lord will be with you. Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. And the Levites of the children of the Kohathites of the children of the Korites stood up to praise the Lord God of Israel with a loud voice on high. Do you see that combination? They had themselves a prayer meeting, and now they're having themselves a praise meeting. But they're not done. They rose early in the morning and went forth into the wilderness of Tekoa. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so shall ye be established. Believe his prophets, so shall ye prosper. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness. And as they went out before the army, and to say, Praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. Anybody know what verse they're singing? Psalm 107, 1, oh, give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. So they've had their prayer meeting, and they started praising. Now they're singing. Doesn't that sound like Paul and Silas in prison? Um, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. Um, we're, we're, we're running kind of out of time. Uh, God fought the battle the minute they started singing. They're singing in faith, believe in the Lord and you'll prosper. They've prayed, they're praising, and God just responds and steps in and said, let me show you what I can do for you. I wonder what God's waiting on us to do. I wonder if he's waiting for us to finally pray like we really believe it, to praise like we really mean it. Go back to Acts chapter 16. So Paul and Silas, 
They, sang, they prayed and sang praises. The prisoners heard them. Verse 26 is God's response. He sends this undeniably miraculous earthquake that not only shook the foundations, opened the prison doors, but everyone's bands were loosed. Uh, I have the, the words everyone's circled in my Bible. Do you know that when you walk with God, other people around you get blessed as well? You have the right attitude and the right spirit. You become a blessing that encourages other people. The prisoners who heard them praying and singing praises are now all of a sudden reaping the benefit of that. God told Abram in, in Genesis chapter 12, I want you to leave where you are, go to a land that I will show thee. And God said, and I will bless thee. And the very end of that same verse says, and thou shalt be a blessing. No one is blessed by our complaining. Nobody's blessed by our criticizing. Nobody's blessed by our grumpiness. Nobody gets blessed because we're having a bad day. Nobody. Did Paul and Silas have a human right to be grumpy? Oh my goodness, yeah. More than any of us have ever had. Uh, they, they didn't give in to that. It's not about what your rights are. It's about what's right. They prayed and praised and everybody's getting blessed, but it isn't done. Verse 27, the keeper of the prison awaking out of his sleep Seeing the prison doors open, he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice saying, do thyself no harm. This is the guy that probably led in the beating of them, that certainly thrust them into the prison, that had been no kind friend to them. Uh, he's about to take his own life. A lot of people would say, go for it, buddy. Paul said, no, man, don't do that. Do thyself no harm. Man, it's a great step of growth when we can get over ourselves and be more concerned about others than we are ourselves, especially those that hurt us. Um, uh, Paul said, do thyself no harm, for we are all here. None of the prisoners left. Man, they got the, the doors are open. Their, their handcuffs are off. Their chains are gone. Why aren't they running out the door? I think that they're just sitting there saying, there's something going on here. I want to see how this plays out. This has got to be God. Then he called for a light and sprang, uh, sprang in, came trembling and fell down before Paul and Silas and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Question. Paul and Silas have been cursing God that night. Do you suppose God would have sent that miraculous earthquake? Yes or no? More than likely not. If Paul and Silas had been cursing the jailer and griping, complaining at the top of their lungs, do you suppose the jailer would have been coming up to them, sir, could you tell me how to get saved? Yes or no? It's not going to happen. Nobody's ever come up to anybody who's a grump, a grouch, a critic, and a complainer and said, you know, you've really got something of God that, 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 that I've never seen. Can you, can you tell me how to get that? Most people are saying, can you, can you just move back a few steps? That might be contagious. Um. Man, God's doing an amazing thing. Uh, they said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved in thy house. They spake unto him the word of the Lord to all that were in his house. It may be that his house was connected to the prison. 
He took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and was baptized, he and all his straight way. When he had brought them into his house, he set meat before them and rejoiced, believing in God with all his house. So the tough heart got saved because two men who had had the worst day that anybody could imagine didn't take it out on anybody. They prayed and they praised and the prisoners heard them and obviously the jailer heard them and, and he was led to Christ. What you've seen in Acts 16 is the foundation of the great church at Philippi, one of Paul's favorite churches, Lydia, the lady with the tender heart. That unnamed girl possessed of a spirit of divination, that tormented, troubled heart. And now this jailer and his entire family, that tough heart, God can break through all of it. He can break through all of it. Let's never discount the power of God, but, as, but let us never discount the power of our testimony. I think sometimes we limit the power of God because we've just got such a poor testimony before the lost world. And, and that ought not be our goal. As we look at this, there ought to be something in us saying, would I have responded the way Paul and Silas did? If so, praise the Lord, but if not, Lord, what's wrong that, I'm, that I wouldn't have done that? Jim's story and I'm done. I had to stop by the gym on Monday to make a change in a training schedule. And I walked in and a young lady met me at the counter. I did not know her, never seen her before. And uh, gave her my, my tag and she ran it through and I told her what I needed and she made the adjustment into the schedule and stuff for me. And I was, uh, you know, I was just ready to turn and walk away and she stopped and she said, wait a minute. Wait a minute, she said, I know your son. I thought, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> she said, I know your son. She said, uh, uh, I met him. You met the boyfriend too, right? Uh, her boyfriend was, I believe, in a motorcycle accident, uh, early 20s, and uh, he lost his entire arm. Um, an athlete, young man that very much involved in the life of a gym and in physical fitness and sports and all of those kind of things. And uh, obviously, you know, there I am with, with uh, you know, Leonardo uh, on and so forth. And she said, um, can you tell me how to help my boyfriend get through this? And so I gave her some information. She's, she's writing some things down real fast. I, I pulled out my phone and I, I showed her uh, a, a video of a, a young man who uh, also lost his arm, who was considered the world's fittest one-armed man in the world. He's now representative for the company called Peloton. Uh, an, an amazing story, that type of thing. And I had a chance to just stand and talk to her about that. Now, it's a start. Um, I'm looking forward to the opportunity of, of meeting her boyfriend. She wants to put the two of us together. I can't help him with any of the dynamics of learning how to work out or train missing an arm. That's not my world, but I can talk to him about the mindset, getting over and getting through all of the, this about losing a limb and how to adjust and how the Lord is the strength of my life. And that's what gets you through it. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Um, that's the power of testimony. Not bragging on me. I mess up more than I, than I care to admit. But I'm just, I'm just telling you, people are watching the prisoners heard 
them. The power of God is beyond our ability to comprehend. But so is the power of our testimony. Use it wisely. Can we pray together? Father, we love you. Thank you for the book of Acts.